Welcome to the Power Hour, brought to you by Chelan County PUD, building a brighter future. Today, Megan Kramer, Efficient Homes Raider and Washington State University Energy Program Coordinator, talks us through designing better, more energy efficient homes. Episode 5 was recorded live on May 18, 2022. Subscribe to the Power Hour and never miss an episode. I'm your host, Lacey Stockton. Let's dive in. Hello. Hey, Megan, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming. I'm really excited about this one. I um, I have a secret affinity towards <laughs> natural building, so I'm hoping that we can chat about that. But I'm also excited to learn a lot about what's going on in the county in terms of new homes and how to make them more efficient. Sounds good. All right. Can we just dive right in? I mean, so if folks are listening right now, the cool thing about this is that we can see your comments and Megan is here to answer any questions you have um, specific to your house or a little bit more general. And we also have some questions that came in before the show, including this one from Randy, which says, what's a net zero home? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when people see net zero, they think that the house just doesn't use any energy. And the reality is what we're trying to assess is through the year. So annually, how much energy does the house use? So there's always gonna be energy usage. It might be higher sometimes of the year, lower in other times of the year. So the goal is to offset that. Generally with solar is the most prevalent offshore, you know, there's wind, there's, um, it could be a site solar or offsite solar. There's actually like a lot of the answers to questions I'll make today, probably. Um, it depends a lot on your particular situation and your particular definition. And do you have room at your house for solar or does it need to be tied into maybe a more like municipal scale solar project where you're, or a community solar project where, you know, the, the solar is divided amongst the, the residents. Um, there's some community housing trusts that are doing that model, which is kind of a, a cool concept. So but that's really net zero. It's through the, the annual, annually using. Uh-huh. And do you know any like, sort of actual, not that actual, but like more like time of use net zero homes where they're just so tight or they're so uh, intentional about when they use energy that are on grid. Because obviously if you're off grid, you're going to be <laughs> kind of contained yeah. in your energy use a lot more and more intentional mm -hmm. about like when you're running your, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your clothes washer, if you have one or things like that. But are there? Yeah, I mean, there's no way to say you're net zero annually if you don't have an efficient home. I mean, it would be extremely challenging to have a big enough solar system to offset the energy use for the consumptions throughout the entire year. So you're still talking about a super efficient home. Um, and then basically offsetting the little that you do use. And that's actually what a great rule of thumb in terms of sizing solar in general is let's get the efficiency needs you know, the, the house is efficient as possible. So the energy needs are as low as possible. So then you can put the smallest solar system needed to actually, you know, fulfill the needs of that particular home. Yes. So if you don't need a lot of energy. You don't need to make a lot of energy. <laughs> and it's far more cost effective. It's cheaper exactly. to make your home work better. It's also helps with comfort. Um, than to slap some solar on there, especially when we're paying, you know, three cents a kilowatt hour in Chelan County. It's not actually a cost-effective way to generate power using right. solar. You right. are welcome to, because there's tons of great reasons to do solar. Absolutely. But you have to eat your conservation carrots before you get your solar sweets <laughs> yes, around exactly. Here. Yep. <laughs> solar is definitely not the only solution. For sure. All right. So when we're talking about these efficient new homes, how much more does it cost to make it what you would consider efficient home versus just a regular home that someone right. would build? Yeah, that is the question. And people really um, are constantly trying to find the answer. I, I, I think there's a bit of a misnomer that a quote unquote green home is more expensive. And one of the biggest pieces of the picture is not just looking at first costs, but what's the life cycle cost of this home? And when you start looking at life cycle and you start looking at a home that's going to exist in our world for 30 to 50 years um, is, is a pretty good estimate. You know, what are the monthly bills every single month that are being paid? And what is the environmental impact of the material use? 
And what are the health concerns that could potentially be attributed to materials and off-gassing VOCs, formaldehyde, those types of things. So, or you, you're not allowed to, or bringing in asbestos like that. Right. Was- <laughs> yeah. There's all these extrinsic things happening where you're looking at, I think a lot of people, they look at, you know, it's going to cost this much for this material or this much for that material. And that's absolutely important. People have budgets. You need to work within budgets, but I do think there's a lot of ways to get really creative. And, um, you know, that's something with even the new code, they're trying to make it so people can kind of pick and choose options and find the best package to save energy, but also, you know, choose what makes sense for that particular project. It's a climactic choice. It's a, you know, where is it, you know, is there a view? Do you want a bunch of windows? Then you need to make trade-offs. You know, what type of heating system are we looking at? So I do think there's um, some first costs that need to be considered, but I just think that's one piece of, of the bigger picture. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard one, right? We often think about like, what are the problems right now? Future Lacey will have to do with future costs. Yes. <laughs> so maybe just slapping something in is good enough. Um, Durability is another big one. You know, it might be cheap today, but if it's not going to last, it's only going to last for five years and you're replacing that system mm-hmm. or that material, then, then all of a sudden it's not as cost effective as it might seem. For sure. Yeah. So in theory, you could build an efficient home with just a little bit more design up front and thought yes. for the same price as, yep. you know, what would just be a regular standard to code spec home. Yeah, I think you absolutely could. And the design is a huge part of it as well. There's actually a lot of um, research being done and active involvement with design professionals now trying to say, you know, hey, that little bump out, is it really necessary? Is that additional mm-hmm. framing, siding, drywall, insulation, when you could just make the wall straight right there? You know, really looking at all these design decisions, they have a huge impact. And especially as materials get more expensive, it's it's going to be more and more necessary to really think about the design and the yeah. efficiency of the design and how we can use smaller spaces just as efficiently and effectively. Um, For sure. You know, maybe maybe we don't need quite as, as big of a home to achieve what we need and want for our families. Yeah. All right. Well, Megan, we have a question. This one is semi-related. This one I might take. This one's related to adding solar um, here in Chelan County. So John's asking, how long is the PUD process to get approved for solar net zero and the SNAP program? Our SNAP program um, is a solar and renewable energy program that the Chilean PUD has offered since I believe 2001 is when that started. And we're in the process of revamping it because it's 2022 yeah, <laughs> and yeah. the county needs something different. So John, this is a great question. Um, as we're transitioning our program and as we get more and more requests for solar, we um, are adjusting our process. And the very person the very best person to ask about this is Jim White. He's our senior energy conservation engineer. Uh, Jim is going to be the one who's going to help with your SNAP application, um, getting you net metered on your new solar and making sure that it matches uh, the diagrams that we need to be able to connect it to the grid. So John, if you want to get in touch with Jim, he can help you through your application process. And thanks for the question. And if you're just joining us, um, we are chatting with Megan Kramer. She is a energy efficient homes raider. Uh, and also the energy program coordinator for WSU down in Olympia. Can you just tell me just super high level what that program is about? Great. Yeah. So the energy program is actually bigger than I even realized because when I was working as a home energy raider with my own business, I only sort of touched this little piece of it. And that piece is home energy ratings and working with folks to actually, you know, provide ratings on homes and help folks be more energy efficient. There's also um, a whole segment of it that is very in-depthly involved with the codes, the updating the energy code. Um, They're part of the technical advisory group for the code and they answer technical questions, provide resources and trainings. That's another big part of it. Uh, There's also a green transportation program. There is a solar program. They're always, they're actively doing research, um, biofuels. There's, There's lots of incredibly intelligent people trying to find solutions to some real world problems that um, it's exciting to be a part of. So there's a lot going on with the energy program. 
Okay, cool. And so are you training like the next round of you? Is that part of it? Yes, that is part of it. That is part of it. Like little Megan's coming up? (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a huge need. There's a few things happening in the industry right now that we need more raiders. We need more raiders. We need folks that want to get their hands dirty, get into homes, um, existing homes, making them more energy efficient. Also working with builders, building new homes to help them learn how to do it um, in a way that's going to meet the new code requirements, as well as, yeah, just health, durability, comfort, safety, all those things. And um, there's a few other pieces of legislation that are in the works. Uh, There's a tax credit and there's, um, you know, Energy Star, there's some all, all these programs and there's a lot out there. We can get into as much detail as, as folks have questions about specifics. But the idea is that um, the basis is that home energy radar. You, you get a radar, you do an energy model. And from there, depending on the project, there's all kinds of things that that, that particular project could get involved with. And there could be some money attached like the PUD's um, home high performance homes incentive program. This is true. You speak of our high performance home incentive, which is $2,000 for folks that have a home that performs better than code um, in terms of their energy efficiency. And they would get in touch with a raider like you who would come and help them actually figure out how to make that happen in the most effective way possible for their specific design. And if you have questions, you can give us a call. Josh Mitchell is our residential energy advisor who created the program and answers any questions there for that. So Megan, what matters most for energy usage in a new home? If you had to prioritize like one or two things, what should people focus on? Heating and water heating and air conditioning. So space conditioning, water heating. Those are the two big ones. And really, we live in a region where heat pumps are already very prevalent. People are familiar with them. They've used them. They understand them. The heating um, contractors are familiar with installing them. So basically, we, we really have access to this really incredible technology and heat pumps are getting more efficient. And they, you know, they, the amount of energy we spend to heat and cool our homes is, is really has the biggest impact on our utility costs as well as environmental impacts. Um, and then second is water heating. That's why, you know, this heat pump water heater, there's incentives there it's in the new energy code. There's a lot of um, resources available for heat pump water heaters as well. So again, in a um, predominantly electric region, there is some gas, but in a predominantly, you know, kind of electric region here in this county, um, those two resources, heat pumps for space heating and air conditioning, as well as water heating, are really worth spending some time looking into and incorporating into your home. And then when it, you know, the other part of the heating system is also the distribution. You know, if you're using a system that has ductwork, which you may or may not, depending on your heat pump type of system, you know, ductwork needs to be tight and sealed and insulated and ideally not in crawl spaces and attics. Uh, because if there are leaks, that that conditioned air just leaves the home and is in the environment. So those are some really big things in the industry that we're working to educate folks on and um, just get the word out that, you know, if you're you're paying to condition this air, let's keep it inside the envelope of your home. <laughs> right. Let's put it where you want it. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, you mentioned the idea of having central heating versus mm-hmm. not. And I have lived in lots of different homes, uh, some that had, you know, like the little place where you'd put your horses. This was in <laughs> Quebec. So super cold winters, pretty much zero insulation, places for horses uh, <laughs> that had rate the big old boiler system yep. with the big radiant heaters. And I've lived in all these different kinds. I have to say, I love zonal heat. Mm-hmm. I If I could switch my central heating system mm-hmm. easily and cost effectively to one that I could control a lot more. Mm-hmm. Maybe it says something mm-hmm. about my control personality, <laughs> but zonal heat where you can mm-hmm. actually decide which room is what temperature throughout the day is mm-hmm. brilliant. Especially if you have homes, you know, where not everybody lives in every single room all day long. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Second okay. floor, you know, is uncomfortable. Bonus rooms are uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, additions are uncomfortable. So basements are uncomfortable. uncomfortable. (laughs) There's, there's lots of ways to improve 
yeah, the, that's where, like you were saying before too, the comfort and the efficiency just really walk together and hand in hand and they, they just go together and you get the bang for the buck. You say, we're going to save some energy. We're also going to be more comfortable and have control. I think it is nice to have control, especially that folks are home a lot more than they used to be necessarily. Um, and even in office environments as well, you know, there's, there's these, you know, even in multifamily, the apartments on the outside get colder and hotter than the apartments mm -hmm. on the inside. So let's give them the ability to control that. Totally. Yeah. This one's kind of related. You mentioned this piece about health. Mm -hmm. um, which, which kind of home has better indoor air quality? That's something that particularly during wildfire season we talk about. Yes. It's like, how do we keep our hair clean? And if we seal up a home, is there such a thing as being like too sealed mm. up or, you know, are leaks okay? Yeah. <laughs> What do you say to this question? Yeah, there's kind of this idea that houses need to breathe. That's a, a phrase that comes out quite often. And houses don't need to breathe, but people do. And I think that's something that we need to really keep in mind. Um, we have technology to allow fresh air, to make sure the air quality inside of our homes is healthy. And we need to pair that with building practices that build a tight house. And I think it's something that's been challenging for the industry to wrap their head around. And it's we're something with the sort of code part of the energy program work, we're constantly educating folks on. It's a question that comes in frequently. We're putting together some information to distribute right now. We're actually currently working on that to clarify what's in the code. And also just to provide some just, you know, common practices. So yeah, Build your house tight and then ventilate it appropriately. And it does seem counterintuitive to people, but it makes a lot of sense. And what's nice about, like you mentioned, fire season is I think brought it really to the forefront that if your house is leaky, that smoke's getting in your house. Yep. And if we can seal our house, that's great, but then you can cause moisture problems and indoor air quality problems. So if you put in a system that actually is intended to exchange air with the outside on a regular basis, that's the appropriate amount for your home. There's calculations you can do. There's models you can do. You mean calculations and models that you could do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very straightforward though. Like that's the thing. They're not that complicated. And, and I think the other really big part of this that I like to say is um, the control piece. Like you were saying, we want smart homes. We want to be able to control homes. We want to know what's happening with our homes. And you can have uh, leaks coming through your crawl space access into your dirty, dusty, insulation, fiberglass filled crawl space or your attic, or you can have a pipe going out to your backyard where the breeze is flowing and where the air is nice and away from mm. car exhaust and, you know, other pollutants that exist outside. We can make sure that we are not bringing those into our homes. Um, and the other big piece of this is filtration. That air can be filtered. The air coming through from just your cracks in, in the house, it's it's not filtered air. It's just, you know, kind of whatever happens to make its way in. And it could be smoky or it could be exhaust filled or it could be, you know, your neighbor that smokes and the cigarette smoke's getting into your home. That's a big challenge with multifamily. It's actually a really big prevalent issue in multifamily housing is how do we separate these units? You know, your neighbor cooks food that you don't, really like the smell of, you know, that seems like not that big of a deal, but it mm. could actually really impact your quality of life to some extent. So, um, you know, we want to create these separations, create really tight homes and then choose where that air comes from and filter it and keep those filters clean, which is another big part of the conversation. Right. <laughs> yes. If you haven't in the last couple of months, yes, now check is your a filter. great time <laughs> to check your air filter. Check Just your like filter. You yeah, just like you would on you your car. It, you can put the date, just write the date on it with a Sharpie and then you'll know how long it's been. So Yeah, if you have system, you know, if you have a programmable a system. or a, yeah, if you have a programmable or a smart air, um, a smart thermostat, of yeah. course, it will remind you when you need to replace it during wildfire smoke events and things like that. Sometimes we'll be popping those guys yeah. in like every few days yep. because they get pretty nasty. But right. the good news is, is while you have to replace your filter more often, you don't have to replace your lungs as often, right. which is a feature. Right. Um, and I can actually drop our link to just prepping for smoke season. I know Great. it seems very early, but 
now is the time to think about getting an air purifier or a box yes. fan or filters and things like that because Murph 13 filters and air purifiers sell out like that the minute that there is a yep. wildfire. So it's yep. time and I'll yep. put it I'll put a link in here. Let me just yep. queue up the next question. Be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um what's wrong with just building the code? Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it good so enough? <laughs> Yeah, this is a tough one. I think there's actually um first of all when we say code, there's several layers of code. There's the international residential code. There's the international energy code. There's the, you know, these I codes, mechanical codes, plumbing codes, et cetera. And a lot of those codes are perfectly fine. They're health and safety related. They're structurally sound. You know, if you build this house, it will withstand X pressure. Um, if you, you know, it'll, it'll hold your roof up. We need to have certain spacing between our studs, that type of thing. And it's all really good information and it's a good baseline. And then states actually have the option if they're going to adopt that code or not. And Washington state is one of these states that um, adopts it and then makes changes. So there's amendments in place. And one of the big things that Washington state does is they have this energy code. So the energy code in Washington state is actually quite stringent and um, it's getting to the point where building to code in Washington state is actually um, a lot more energy efficient than many other places in the country. So, you know, I, I don't like putting down code built homes because especially now with this, um, you know, as we build upon the code cycle and we're constantly evaluating and improving the efficiency of code built homes, you know, no one, they're not doing anything wrong. Um, I think people that are trying to find workarounds to avoid meeting the code, you know, that's a different story. And, you know, I, I do think there is a little bit of that going on, which is unfortunate. But if someone is really building to the current energy code, um, they're solid, healthy, tight homes. And, um, but we can always do better. And a lot of what's even in the current energy code is because people have pushed the envelope. They've, you know, been early adopters. They've tried new strategies and techniques and they've learned things that they've come to say, you know, hey, this works. It's reliable. It saves energy. And those are the types of things that then, you know, kind of get worked into the code. So it's this ever expanding, growing, changing process, especially in this state where we are really, you know, trying to push towards some serious energy savings. It's it's government mandated that our buildings are better and we mm -hmm. need to really work towards that. Um, and then there's folks that are building a passive house, right? Which is a whole, you know, it's a certification, it's a whole other program. And those folks are going way above and beyond and like, you know, more power to them. I think that stuff is awesome. And, and there's a lot we can do. And above- So what's code, passive house? Yeah, so passive house is a standard. Um, Bias is the United States version. It uh, was started in Europe. And essentially, when we talk about tightness, right, 0.6 air changes per hour, if people know what that means, it's extremely tight. If you look at the code, you can get away with five right now. So, uh, you know, that's a, a big difference. They're, they're making them super tight, super energy efficient, um, super well insulated, really high quality windows. There's just, um, you know, it's a, a checklist of things you need to do. Uh, but then there's an energy model and you have to show that this house is going to perform. It's not just saying, yes, I checked these boxes, but it's actually saying this house, all of these pieces and parts are going to come together and really improve the efficiency of this particular project. Um, yeah, it's there's there's lots of programs like that. I mean, even Energy Star, it's just a way to evaluate your home and put a sticker on it that says, hey, this is Energy Star. It's, it's not sort of just a co-built house. They went above and beyond. And part of that is having an independent third party come out and say, not only are you saying you did this, but I'm verifying that in <laughs> fact you did do the, these things and sure. you did you, you did a good job. And so you get some, you know, accolades for that. Um, and then moving forward, there, there may be even be some money tied to that. There's a potential tax credit that's going to be tied to Energy Star certification in the future. So I encourage people to kind of keep an eye out for that. Cool. When should that drop? Later this um, year? Hopefully by the end of the summer. Yep. We'll see. It's a okay. very nebulous thing. Um, it's, uh, it's just sort of keeps popping up and it's, it's still out there. It's very active. People keep talking about it, but it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's a government level, higher level federal program type hey. thing. So it, it happens yeah. when, and if it happens and it's tied to the build back better program, which has been stalled. So 
it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of moving parts there, but the language about what's proposed has been consistent. So if it does change, I would be really surprised. It's just a matter of if it gets adopted or not and and actually, you know, put into law. Sure. And I think in general, perhaps a specific example is just one, but there's this whole sort of sea change that's happening, whether it's through codes of how you can build things, whether it's a new, a totally new house, or even like an addition to a home. It also has certain qualifications that it needs to meet. So there's the codes and standards Mm -hmm. that are changing, right? It's sort of like light bulbs. Like you can hardly Mm -hmm. go out and find some of the old light bulbs that, you know, kind of like dim the lights when you flick them on because they're using so much because LED is now the standard. Same thing is happening with how we build homes, how we create appliances. Um, And so it's cool to hear that there's also maybe some tax breaks or things like that for people who are even going beyond that. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And it's really helping push the market. Um, There's also a zero energy ready program that could be tied to a tax credit. Zero energy ready. Mm -hmm. Like we're just waiting so to for, not use it or, like what does that so mean? So the idea is that if you're building a new home, it might not make financial sense for a spec builder, for example, to put solar on all of the houses. It might go for it if, if it does. And in some markets, it's pretty easy to make that argument. Um, but you can make it quote unquote solar ready. And, and mm. you know, how do you orient the roof where the panels might go? Is the roof, are you going, you know, if you go to an existing home and try to site solar, you may have to reinforce the roofing. You have to get an engineer out there. You need to make sure that the roof can handle the load. Um, you know, is the roofs kind of, you know, east ish, uh, might get some energy from the panels, but they're not going to be as efficient as if it was facing true south. So if you can orient the roof line, um, you know, create a place in a mechanical room where the inverter is going to live, you know, getting all the wiring where everything, you know, kind of just have a plan, have a plan. So when the day comes where solar is put on this house, it's just a lot more, um, just easier, flat out, sure. just, just to make it easier to add solar later. Sure. Okay, cool. And so if folks are just joining us, we're chatting with Megan Kramer. She is a homes writer to verify if homes are super energy efficient. She's also the um, energy program coordinator for uh, WSU. And we're chatting with her about new homes and also just sort of best practices with construction of homes in general. Um, Since we're talking a little bit about rooftop solar, we did get a question Mm -hmm. and there's all these different rating systems going on. Mm -hmm. Like does, does being, you know, solar ready or having a solar system, does it make it more efficient? Do you get points for that in Mm -hmm. some of these systems? How does that fall into this? Yeah, it absolutely relates and ties in. Um, So there's a couple things on that topic. One is for a utility incentive, their solar programs are generally separate. So if you're looking for a high performance homes utility incentive, which there are many, Cascade Natural Gas has one, Chilean PUD has one, Puget Sound Energy has one. Um, anywhere, you know, if anyone's calling in from Oregon, which you're probably not, there's a bunch of programs all over the country. Um, call your own most, utility. Yeah, call Oregon. your own utility and ask them. <laughs> I, I don't know all the details, um, but they are out there. And the they're looking at the energy efficiency of the home. So the solar wouldn't make sense in that program and other programs as well. So it's a little bit program specific, but essentially when I was talking about this energy modeling where you put all the pieces and parts into it and you see how efficient the home is, solar is a part of that. And you put that in and you can see kind of the before solar and the after solar and see how much of an impact it's going to have on your kilowatt hour savings and your utility uh, bills as well. You can do some pretty accurate cost estimates in in various software tools that are available. Um, And I think you can really get it... um, you know, get creative with solar and, you know, maybe you have a standard hot water heater, but it's electric and you have solar, uh, you're offsetting your water heating with solar, electric water, standard electric water heater. So, you know, I think that's the kind of stuff that if, you know, people start getting kind of creative with and the code does allow for that. So when there's points, um, you know, for folks looking to build new homes, you get all these points for doing things and there's a list of points that you can draw from and, um solar is a big part of that you can if you put solar on your house you're a lot closer to to hitting your points pretty easily and um um you know it can it can be a really 
you know, interesting way to look at doing it where you can do all of these energy efficiency things. And there's also this renewables pot over here and combining the two, you can actually make a really nice permit application and, and, a nice quality home. Yeah. If you're looking for a nice permit application, yeah, 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 yeah. Project Megan. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. No, it's funny. I mean, we could geek out about this stuff. But oh, at totally. the end of the day, I think that there is something that's very sexy about solar. Yeah. Right? It's cool to be able mm -hmm. to say, like, oh, you know, I I generated the power that I used on site. And right. I'm hooked up. And then yep. if the power goes out, like maybe I'll be able to power my home or right. portions of my home and things like that. At the same time, when we look at the actual economics of it for Chelan County, Oregon, I don't know your story, uh, <laughs> but in Chelan County, rooftop solar doesn't make economic sense. Yep. It, it won't pay off um, even if you're net metered and you get credit for every kilowatt hour that your solar panel produces. It still never quite makes it. it makes it up for that yep. initial upfront cost. Um, even with tax breaks, even with things like that, there's still a lot of good reasons to do solar, as you mentioned, um, including meeting those points to get um, to, to reach code for your new home. Uh, but it's not always the most cost-effective way to yep. reach those Absolutely. things. Because you're probably already going to need a yeah. heating system. Mm -hmm. So if you put that money towards a better or smarter heating Absolutely. system. Or water okay. heating system, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that you bring up water heating. No one thinks, I don't think about my hot water tank unless mm -hmm. it's just, you know, unless it stops working. Then right. everybody goes and digs it out and, you know, unearths it from the closet and gets rowdy. But yeah, water heating is, you know, can be like 20% of your energy mm -hmm. bills year round, which mm -hmm. is a lot of energy for something that we don't really think about. And yeah, and it is year round. I mean, when you look at base loads, it's sort of the thing. Um, that we, we take showers all year. <laughs> Most people do at least. Some people. <laughs> <laughs> and depending yeah. on how big your family is or, you know, and just what you're doing at your house. Like some people use a lot of hot water. Sure. And what do you recommend if people want to cut back on their, um, what they're paying for their hot water? Yeah. I mean, I think that heat pump water heaters are great. I know there's a lot of, you know, kind of chatter about if they, you know, make sense and, you know, different plumbers that are, you know, recommending them or not. And I have had a lot of good experience with them. I personally do not have one, but I'd like to retrofit my house to have one. And it's on my list of things I plan to do. There's um, several people in the energy program that have them and have for that firsthand experience. I've had them for years. There's a plumber that I have a relationship with through, you know, like we've, he's been a resource for me over the years where I've been able to call him and say, you know, hey, what do you think about this? Or what's going on with this? Because he's been involved with programs forever and you installed them way back when and there were issues and had to pull them out and put new ones in and kind of went through all of that and still is a proponent of heat pump water heaters. Um, you know, it's a new technology, but so were ductless heat pumps just, you know, five, 10 years ago, people had never seen those, but they'd been installed in other countries forever prior to that. And now they're very commonplace. Um, it's like electric cars. It's like all of these newer things that, you know, yeah, the, the mechanics are going to have to figure out how to fix them and the plumbers are going to have to figure out how to install them. And, you know, the, the number one thing with heat pump water heaters that people really need to think about is location making sure that they put them in the right place. And when you're talking retrofit, it might not make sense. And I think that's okay. You don't want to put a heat pump water heater into an area where it's not going to work because that just, you know, doesn't help anybody. Um, they need between 700 and 1000 cubic feet of fresh air. They pull air in from the surroundings and they exhaust cold air. So that cold air in the summer can actually be a net benefit to your home. Um, in the winter, not so much. So, you know, where is it? Is it in the closet of your bedroom, pushing out cold air in the winter? Maybe not the best choice, but is it in a garage? Then yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. No brainer, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. They're a bit yeah. taller, but also I think people need to realize when we talk heat pumps, there's um, often, depending on the heat pump, it does not have to be the case, but often, there's a little bit of backup, right? So if it gets really cold and the heat pump's not gonna be able to reach the satisfy your thermostat, 
there's a little just electric resistant heat that kicks on. And that is true of the heat pump water heaters as well. So, you know, you're running out of water or it's just cold and it's not able to really do what you need it to do. It's going to kick on that electric resistance back up. You know, the same thing on your thermostat where it says emergency heat for your space heating heat pump. There's a little emergency heat option with the heat pump water heater as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can also duct them to the outside to get rid of the cold air. So there's lots yeah. of ways to really, you know, make them work for your particular situation. But I'm also the first to admit that sometimes it's not going to make sense and that's okay too. <laughs> yeah, totally. If it's in the, if it's in the heart of your home, you're not going to duck that thing. No, <laughs> There's no duck work. that you're going to, you know, bring through your living room. Doesn't make any sense. Does it make but sense? There, yeah. There are a lot of places yep. where it does. And I read a study recently where they put it in a, a basement that was heated. This was a heated basement that um, was furnished and everything and they didn't duct it and they measured the temperature, how it changed. And in the space, it was generally two degrees lower. Right. Um, having totally. it. So yep. it wasn't crazy. I mean, I don't right. think it's necessarily the intended application for it, but it's also not crazy to keep a certain space, like your laundry room or something like that, two degrees cooler than the rest of your home. Absolutely. Uh, so, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah okay. I think the, the thought is that it's kind of constantly gushing out freezing cold air and that is not what's happening. It's periodically putting out some cold air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think people just need to kind of wrap their heads around. It's a new thing. It's, they're going to be more and more prevalent, um, especially as code changes. It's really an mm -hmm. easy way to get some points, like I was saying. So totally. Yeah. yeah it's a big point item. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's, let's change a little bit. Let's talk right. about the actual like what the yeah, house is made out of. Sure. So we've got big questions about yeah. straw bale and hemp homes yeah, and other naturally absolutely. built homes. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of materials out there that have been around forever that are starting to come to the forefront, especially as building materials get more and more expensive. Lumber is a major cost. And is there something else we can use? I think it's just a question that people are asking. And especially when you're looking to achieve these high R values in homes, R value is the thermal resistance of the wall. So uh, certain materials do a better job keeping the hot and cold air inside your house. And maybe it's a certain material that's just thicker, or maybe it's actually a totally different material and it just does a better job. Um, and you can find the R value per inch of materials. It's readily available. And so the and um, more is more with R value. Like, yes, don't confuse it with right. windows because windows right. is U value, which is the inverse R yes. value for no real reason. Yeah. In which case, your windows lowers better. But for R value, it means bigger values, means more insulation, happier homes. Yep. And okay, it is sorry. additive and U values are not. So you can actually look at a wall assembly and say, I'm putting this material and this material and this material in layers. Let's add them all together. And what's the final R value? Um, there's a lot of things you need to consider. Um, moisture, dew point, vapor barriers. There's a lot going on in our wall systems these days. You know, older homes didn't have all of this going on and they were super leaky. They also stayed dry because air was flowing mm. through and any moisture that accumulated just left. So that's something that's a really important thing to think about. You know, where are our air barriers going? Where are our vapor barriers going? If we are using any sort of foam product or OSB, which is a lot of glue, impermeable materials, if we're putting plastic in our wall systems, which I would really encourage folks to consider not doing, um, you know, what are the implications Tyvek, of that? Is Tyvek a plastic? Nope, Tyvek is a permeable vapor. So the idea is it will, um, <laughs> yeah, allow for the sheet goods to breathe. Um, and so they want to be, you know, keep the, the water out. Um, it gets complicated, like I said. So there's all <laughs> kinds of vapor barriers out there. The thing about Tyvek comes up a lot. People use Tyvek. Tyvek's not a bad product. Tyvek's not on the list of like super green, you know, new, you know, now they have vapor barriers that the they open in certain temperatures and close and they're allowing water and it gets crazy high tech. Like anything, if it's installed well, fiberglass bat insulation can do a great job if it's installed well. It is extremely difficult to install well. Mm. That is what this really is all about. A heat pump works great 
if it's not the right size and if the ducting is a mess, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. So having a workforce that knows what they're doing and is installing things correctly is really the number one thing. Um, and some materials inherently are going to be easier to install than others. So it just kind of takes that learning curve out of it. Um, you know, I do think the vapor barrier discussion gets a bit complex depending on what else is in that wall assembly. So you really have to look at examples of different wall assemblies in the various layers. Tyvek, if it's installed well, if it's taped, if the windows are flanged properly, and if there's proper insulation installed in the walls, it's not a bad product. It's mm -hmm. just needs to be installed correctly. And I think unfortunately, a lot of what we see is, you know, that the corner of it kind of flapping in the wind <laughs> and the sheet goods yeah. getting wet during a rainstorm. And that's what we need to kind of guard against. Um, okay. Yep, okay. but I do think that um, straw bale is a great option too. It's actually, people have been doing straw bale for a long time. Um, yeah, it started in Nebraska in the 1800s. It's I'm a material, it's a local material. Yeah, It's a local true. material for folks that aren't in the Pacific Northwest where lumber abounds that, you know, people are building with, um, you know, stucco and, you know, their materials that are, you know, they're stone houses because they had stones and, I think, um, you know, it's all part of the pictures. Like we were saying, you know, trade-offs, you know, what makes the most sense. If you're going to spend a bunch of fuel delivering materials from far away, does that make more sense than using something that's readily available? So there's, a, like I said, the life cycle costs, the life cycle analysis is really important. Um, we were just talking offline. Uh, you know, we both know of multiple projects in the area as well as other places that have been uh, built using straw and it is a cool material and it's going to continue. I think people are looking for those other options. You know, the hempcrete blocks are really interesting as well. They, um, you know, there's all these products out there that are, um, you know, like ICF is insulated concrete forms where it's foam and you fill it with concrete. Well, they also make them out of hemp. Um, there's also different ways, you know, there, there's people are this is a place of massive innovation. There's a ton of time, energy, resources, funding going into finding different building materials right now. It's actually really exciting. Mm. And straw bale is definitely one of them. For sure. So if you if you personally could pick, <laughs> what, what's your what's your go-to right now? Or which oh. one would you explore first for your own home? Yeah, it's a great question. And I do not have that answer. I wish that oh, I did. Oh, come on. Um, I would look at Rockwell. We did talk about that a bit as well. So there's actually, so when it comes to um, what goes in the walls and then what goes outside, right? So that's another, I don't want to take this off a tangent of too much technical stuff for folks. I don't know if this is of interest, but you know, there's continuous insulation where you have studs and they create a thermal break and, you know, heat and coal go through the wood through your wall. And so when you look at insulation, insulation is in the bays and then wherever that wood is, it's not as well insulated. So it actually decreases the R value of the whole wall system quite a bit. So what's really becoming more and more prevalent, and again, there's points in the code, um, <laughs> is to put insulation on the exterior of the shell of the home. And foam board has been a really common way to do that. So that is one area where there's a lot of other manufacturers coming up with, you know, more sort of environmentally friendly materials. And the foam people will say there's green foam and there's good foam and there's foam isn't so bad. And, you know, feel free to do your own research. I'm not putting down foam because it definitely has its place. <laughs> We're foam but agnostic around here. I'm foam okay. agnostic, exactly. <laughs> but there's rock wool. There's even a wood fiber material that people are using. Um, there's a project in Roslyn that I'm um, aware of that's using it. There's, um, you know, people are just getting really creative about what types of materials they're using. And, and so I do think that's a really interesting topic. And I would look, consider rock wool with a blown in bat maybe even fiberglass for cost effectiveness on the interior. And there's actually, you know, fiberglass is more green than it used to be as well. So I would definitely do blown in bats, maybe wrap it in rock wool, think about vapor barrier, um, try to use plywood and not OSB. So some mm. things like that, low VOC paints, sure, those types of things. And I know that you focus on new homes, but what if I have a home, I love it, and yeah. the cavity in my walls is straight empty. What, do, yeah. what are my options? You have options. If there's anything in there, you really don't have many options. So having 
a blank canvas is actually better to some extent. I um, kind of almost wish in my current home, they did some things over the years and I'm gonna have to basically sort of tear it out and redo it. So there are some advantages to just having nothing in your walls because you can drill holes and fill it with insulation. You really can. And I know it sounds, it sounds a little bit invasive and difficult and challenging, but people absolutely do it. And it's something that will have a huge impact. Um, you know, attic insulation, crawl space insulation, all great things. The surface area of your walls actually is bigger than both of those locations generally. And so it can have a really big impact getting some insulation into your walls. Sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, no, again, it's like your water heater. We just like to shut the door, or close yep. the wall on it and completely ignore what's going on in there. But insulation can make a really big difference yeah, in terms huge. of your comfort. Absolutely. Windows yes. are, they fall into the sexy category. There were solar, mm -hmm. so windows and solar. Yep. Those are, those are, you know, but windows, even if you replace, so I'm not talking about leaky windows, like yep. my, <clears throat> I won't out my parents, but <laughs> they own a, a a beautiful historic home. And when it gets windy in the Wenatchee Valley, right. we put playing cards in the older windows that have yet to be replaced because they just shake. That is a that is a poor quality window that needs some serious love. I'm not talking about those, but for you know, good ish yeah. windows. Even if you go from, you know, a double pane that maybe that insulated glass isn't functioning as well as it should to a new one, you're going to see modest improvements in terms of comfort. It'll look better. It will increase your home value, all of those things. But in terms of comfort, right. your windows are not where you probably would get the most bang for your buck. It's insulation. It's boring, hidden, you know insulation and we for both those windows and for insulation we offer rebates to help with the cost but the insulation one will actually probably play for a really meaningful right. percentage Absolutely. if you go and get fancy windows our rebates are just gonna be you know maybe they'll yeah. cover the sales tax or something yeah. right <laughs> it's a little you know pat on the back good job you know you did a good yeah. thing but it's not oh, it is. Really it's great. offset the cost yeah and i think those things are great and i think it is really important to have those programs to show people, you know, that are doing those things that you support them. And it's a great thing to do, but it's not, I mean, there's a reason the amount is low because it just doesn't pencil out in terms of the energy efficiency, similar to what you were saying with the solar. A yeah. new home though, if you're choosing between windows, I, again, windows are expensive and they are, there's a lot of choices. And so I think that folks can definitely just look at the options and be open to it because they are coming down in price and there's some more local manufacturers. It used to be transportation was a bigger issue. So mm. um, you can't, you know, it's hard to bring windows over big mountain passes and stuff. They actually can have issues <laughs> if there's gas in them. There's some more challenging things about it, but right. you know, like I never thought about yeah. the change of pressure. Yeah, it can actually it be bad. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so there's, um, yeah, just, I mean, yeah, Windows is, again, it's kind of one of those other sort of techie, ever-evolving things where there's new products all the time. And not every new house has to have some fancy, crazy, expensive, super low U-value window. I think that that's one of those trade-off items that if you're looking at Windows or insulation, let's definitely put some money into insulation, like you were saying. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm putting a last call out there. If you have questions for Megan about all or any of these things, type them in the chat. She can see them and we'll have her answer those. And I just have one more question for you, Megan. Great. Okay, uh, this one's a little bit more technical, but what's the difference in all these different yeah. home rating systems? Which mm -hmm. one do I pick? Do I, what do I do? That's a great question. Um, so there's energy programs like energy star so i like to mention energy star because it's just really familiar people have energy star light bulbs they have energy star refrigerators energy star heating systems energy star is really a common thing and that can be applied to your entire house your whole house can be an energy star house and i think that's a really accessible one um you have to be a little better than code not leaps and bounds nothing you know too crazy but you do have to be a little bit better than code and there are certain things you have to do the home needs to be tight and it needs to be verified um you can't just say you did it you have to have someone come out and verify that you did these things so that certification has some weight to it and longevity the program's been around it's not going anywhere um 
what's being sort of tacked on to that is now more and more things. So that's a bit of a base. There's this zero energy program I touched on. And then there's also zero energy ready, excuse me. And then there's also an indoor air quality certification. There's a water efficiency certification. There's all these things you can get that, um, yeah, you can get kind of this suite of certifications that just so that it's a, a healthy, energy efficient water, you know, cons conserving household. And I think those things have a lot of value, especially for a builder who is trying to mm. build and sell and the market right now, you know, that's not something that's hard. If you're building houses, it's pretty easy <laughs> to sell them, but that could shift. Who knows? Um, we've all been through ups and downs in the the market for sure. So I think that's really um, important to just be aware of. And then, then you can do built green, which is all of those things, like I said, water, energy, indoor air quality. And they're also looking at socioeconomics a bit. And they're also looking at living wage. And they're also looking at, you know, not just these, you know, kind of the checklist items, but how does it really all tie together and um, local materials and site landscaping. Are you, you know, maybe you're, you know, they're looking at making sure that you're thinking about native landscaping and site disturbance. You know, did you go into pristine wilderness and cut down every single tree or did you have an arborist come out and help you make some intelligent choices about how to manage your land? There's just a lot to it. And some of these other programs, Bill Green is pretty specific to Washington. It's most prevalent in the Seattle area. Um, there's also the National Green Building Standard which is um, a national program that does similar things. There's LEED. People have heard about LEED quite a bit. Um, it's definitely more of a commercial scale program. There is a homes program. There's, um, like I said, that passive house is, is kind of the upper echelons of that. There's living building where they actually want you to show with your bills that you are net zero in energy and water throughout, you know, the first couple of years the home is, is in use. So, there's some really innovative things going on. There's some really cool ways to show that you're walking the walk and not just saying you're doing these things, but you're actually having, you know, and there's professionals like myself who can come out and answer questions and help you, you know, kind of lead the way and then make sure you did what you said and the house is working the way that you intended. Um, yeah. So those are all so, really cool things. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't realize that there were so many different options. So how would somebody start? Okay, I have this. I have this idea. Yeah. I want to create a new home or a large addition or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I want to be intentional, but I don't even know where to really start. What do I do? Yep. Um, well, obviously, you can contact the energy program, Northwest Raider at Energy. Wsu.edu. That's kind of the generic email. Or feel free to email me. I'm available. Um, we have a list of energy raiders. And it's a list for the Pacific Northwest, um, Idaho, Montana, Washington, and Oregon. And it shows you where they're located, links to their website, their contact information. You can find a professional and, you know, see what they say. And you can also, you know, contact all of those programs and, you know, see which one sort of makes the most sense for you. And there's some legwork involved. You know, I think that's an old um, sort of thing that people used to say is a, you know, a, a only active homeowners can live in passive houses. Because <laughs> yeah, um, it's not cookie cutter. You know, it's very customized and there's a lot of decisions to be made. And um, But it's interesting. And, and I think people that really start down that road, um, it's, it's interesting, it's exciting. And there's a lot of really good people doing lots of really good work. And there's a community aspect where, mm -hmm. you know, folks just want to help. People that are energy raiders, we do this because we're passionate about it and we want to see cool projects come through and we want to work on your house that you're doing something different and unique and interesting. And often they're in beautiful places too, so. Yeah, <laughs> like 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 you're you're based out of Pashastin, yeah. so you do a lot of sort of Upper Valley things, but mm -hmm. you can do the whole county yes. in terms of helping people just get started and they could contact the energy program at Wazoo that you mentioned. You'll have to give me the link so I can drop it in the comments. Yeah, I should have. <laughs> um, that's really helpful in. though. Yeah. And it, this comment about, you know, what was it that, that you have to be active to live in a passive home? That's yeah. true. But in general, I think that we often forget about how, thank you. I was putting the chat, um, yeah. Let's see if I can copy this bad boy. We often forget about where homes sort of started and how they've morphed over the years. Mm. Like if we think even a hundred years ago, homes didn't have a ton of mechanical systems. They didn't. 
right? They they might have had, you know, plumbing and things that we really appreciate, but they, you know, when it got hot, you would wear certain clothes. You would, you know, when it was breezy, you'd fling open that side of the house, get an yeah, air breeze absolutely. going through. When it got cold, maybe you wouldn't hang out in certain parts of your house mm -hmm. as often, right? You'd be in front of a fireplace or people adjusted and they were used, their bandwidth of what they could work within was a lot wider. Now we're like, okay, if it is not 72 degrees, 40% yeah. <laughs> humidity, yes. like, you know, check, 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 check. The lighting levels have to be this, like all of these things and make it automatic. Oh my gosh, my home is not performing correctly. And maybe it's true, but maybe you're right. There's also this piece of active thing, like even simple things like adjusting your window yeah. um, shading throughout the day, right? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's not passive. <laughs> it could be if you have automated awnings and shades. Yeah, and, and you like can, that. you can go that route and people certainly do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, kind of the smart home option is out there, but I also think you're right. Some folks, you just need to sort of think about, well, if the sun you just you down, it. just cut your blinds. Yeah. Yeah. Pull yeah, the cord. One, also, one of the things that's changed drastically is heating equipment. Um, mm. You know, there used to be like five sizes of furnace. And if you had this size house, you got this size furnace. And that's what you got. And it worked or it didn't. And it was loud and it blew cold air in your face. And it, you know, <laughs> it did weird stuff. And it just kind of was like too bad. And then I think the, um, the... New heating systems, especially, you know, they're variable speed and they are techie. And I get where people, I think, sometimes want to get away from that. Um, but I think there are solutions to problems. If you have problems, there are solutions out there. That's one thing to think about. If you have an existing home with some problems, some comfort issues, some health and safety challenges, there really are ways to make it better. But if you're building a new house and you build it super tight and super well insulated, you don't need a fancy heating system. It kind of helps you get back to that more basic system where it's smaller. Yeah. So economics also really help you with that too. Maybe you're spending a little bit more on insulation, but all of a sudden you need half a size um, in terms of tonnage of your heating system. So, you know, you could definitely, um, there's a lot of ways to make things pencil out when it comes to, um, yeah, just putting in smaller zoned heating and cooling and having them serve your house because it's tight and it's insulated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's always really fun chatting with you because I yeah. love geeking out on this stuff. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, thank you for, um, let me just drop your email in here. Yeah, great. Feel free to get in touch directly. And if I'm not the right person, I can send you to who is if you have questions. Um, I love yeah. that. Absolutely. There's so many great resources here. So thank you. Yes. yes. Um, um, yeah. Anything else for posterity? I don't think so. I mean, I think we covered a lot. That was really interesting. Thank you very much for having me. And um, yeah, I think it's just a really exciting field and I feel fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. And I, I really do want to talk to you and answer people's questions and help out. And like I said, find, you know, if people ask a question and I don't know the answer, then it's something I need to find out and I'm happy to do that. So. Yeah. We're, we're total eager beavers. Like yeah. we love chatting about this yeah, stuff. So. Exactly. <laughs> just Let us know. Email Megan. Yeah. She's yeah. there for you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, Megan. And, and you Megan, I'm also yeah. really excited next time on the power hour, we have something completely different. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you knew this, but every time that you go on the internet or you use a phone or things like that, um, it actually uses electricity because data centers actually power the cloud. Yeah. The cloud is not a, a magical unicorn place. It's, it's not really a cloud. physical place. No, it's not a cloud. <laughs> and so to really get to the bottom of how we're using energy, particularly here in Chelan County and maybe um, down in Malaga as well, as they start developing that potentially for a server site, I am going to be chatting with... Ryan Bebout, he is the general manager of SABI data centers for the West. Uh, and he's graciously going to join us next time so we could talk about how we power the internet. You know, just small topics on the power hour. <laughs> Again, Megan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lacey. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Power Hour Season 2, Episode 5. Subscribe to this Power Hour podcast and you'll know when the next episode is ready. Join us next time as we're joined by Ryan Bebout, Director of Operations West for CB Data Centers. He'll answer your questions about how we all use data centers and loads of energy every time we go online or stream, why North Central Washington is a mecca for data centers, plus some bonus Q&A about crypto mining. Visit shalampud.org slash power hour for all the past episodes. You can also listen anytime right here on the Power Hour podcast, brought to you by Chelan County PUD, building a brighter future. I'm your host, Lacey Stockton, wishing you a happy Memorial Day, Chelan County. 